Chris and I were reminiscing this week uh, about a time we were invited to uh, a picnic dinner out on a ranch in, in central Montana. As I remember, it was a ranch that overlooked the Smith River. Have you guys ever been up into that part of the state? Beautiful part of our state. And we were invited by some friends of ours, uh, Bob and Sharon Unterseer. As it turns out, Bob is Vicki Riojas's brother. And so if you know Vicki, you know a little bit about this family. Uh, um, Vicki, would you agree with me that you're all kind of odd birds? Is that, is that true? Amen. Okay, okay. So, so we were invited by Bob and Sharon to have this picnic dinner on this ranch. And, and, and Bob and Sharon drove for us. So Bob was in the driver's seat. I was riding in the passenger seat. And the girls were in the back seat. And we go driving down this country ranch road. And Bob informed me that as we were driving, because I was in the passenger seat, it would be my job to open the gates as we came to the, the, the ranch gate. So we pulled up to the first one. I jumped out and I opened the gate, closed it behind the car. And this happened, I don't know, two, three, four times until we got to our destination. We had our picnic dinner, and it was just a good time. And while we were eating, the sunset, we were there a long time. It was summertime, so you know how late the sun sets in this part of the country. But it got dark, and we're driving back, and, and we're going down the way we came, and we're driving down this country road. I'm opening and closing the gates. And we got to this one particular gate. Bob stops the car. I jump out. The headlights are shining on the gate, and I went to pull the gate towards me to open it. Now, I did not know, you guys probably know better than I do, I did not know that gates are hung so that it, the gate swings only one direction, right? So I start pulling on the gate and it won't open in that direction. I wasn't really smart enough to push the gate when it didn't give, so I just keep pushing. I found out later that everybody in the car was laughing and mocking me for, you know, be, the city boy trying to open ranch gates. And, and so I got frustrated, and they're just all watching me. I got frustrated, and I just shoved the gate, and it swung open. And as soon as it swung, I heard the awful sound of a rattlesnake rattle. And I looked down at my feet, well, a little further than my feet, and there was a coil, it was huge, coiled up rattlesnake. I, I, I searched YouTube this morning, I was gonna try to imitate the sound of a rattlesnake, and I found this video, it made my palms sweat. There, there is something about that sound, I'm getting, ooh, it just, anyway, there's this coiled snake right where I would have stepped had I, pushed the gate and walked with it, I would have stepped right on that snake. But because I pushed it over the snake, he warned me and, and I avoided, and of course then I'm high-stepping and screaming and yelling and they're all laughing and, and I yell, there's a rattlesnake! So they pull through the gate and the gate's open, I'm not gonna go back where that snake is. So Bob throws the car into reverse, backs up over the snake to kill it, the girls scream in the back seat and, and then he pulls forward, backs up again, the girls scream again and he just, obliterates. Now, this is where the weird part comes, Vicky. Bob jumps out of the car and opens the trunk because he wants to cut off the rattles off the snake because that's what you do when you kill a snake, right? What's he pull out of his trunk? A samurai sword. <laughs> Vicky, who has a samurai sword in their trunk? Bob has a samurai sword in his trunk. 
We're going to be talking about gates today. Not farm gates, but we're going to be talking about the gates in the wall that surrounded Jerusalem. If you were with us last week, uh, you'll remember Kelly did such an amazing job setting up this message series from the book of Nehemiah. And if you've got your Bibles with you today, you might want to turn to the book of Nehemiah. We're going to be coming and going and bouncing around Scripture today. But uh, Nehemiah is such an interesting, interesting piece of history. And, and history uh, of the people of Israel, history of our Christian faith. And if you missed last week's message, I want to encourage you to listen to the podcast because Kelly just brought it. In fact, Kelly, uh, you, you spoke to us so beautifully, and, and I felt like the Lord spoke to me. I think I shared this with you earlier in the week. But I felt like there were some places in my wall that needed to be repaired. And I've taken some very specific steps this week to repair my wall. And I think lots of us felt that way last week. So let me just review in case you weren't with us last week. Nehemiah was a guy who was part of the captivity of the Jewish people in Babylon. You might remember that that uh, Israel had been warned again and again and again that if they didn't repent and follow Yahweh, that they were going to be taken captive as slaves again by the people of Babylon, and eventually that did happen. And for 70 years, the people of Israel were slaves to Babylon until there was a change in leadership, and the, and, and the leaders of Babylon allowed the Jewish people to go back to Jerusalem, repair the wall, build the temple. That was their mission and, and Ezra and, and some other leaders started the project, but then Nehemiah heard that the wall was in shambles and that there was no point in the ancient world of having a city if you didn't have a wall to protect the city. So Nehemiah took it as his personal mission to go back and repair the wall. So that's the backstory of what we're talking about, but for the rest of this message series, we're gonna be camping out in Nehemiah chapter three, and what happens in Nehemiah chapter 3 is Nehemiah and a, a whole bunch of people from Jerusalem work together to repair the wall and to hang the gates. Now, in, in Israel's day, in, in, in the time that we're talking about, there were 10 gates. And, and I've got a map here that shows what the wall looked like. This isn't exactly to scale, but it's pretty close. And, and there were 10 gates that Nehemiah mentions in Nehemiah chapter 3. And, and it's really interesting to study it, but what's more interesting is that according to the Bible, everything that had to do with the temple and the city of Jerusalem has a meaning for us even today. There's a beautiful verse in Hebrews chapter 8 that says this, the priests on earth serve in a temple that is but a copy modeled after the heavenly sanctuary, it's a shadow of the reality. Now, I don't know if you've, if you've ever heard that verse before or understood this concept, but the idea is, is that what, what existed in the Old Testament temple and, and everything that went with it was a physical copy of what actually exists in the heavenly realm where God dwells. And so what we're going to be discovering as we look at these gates is that there is a spiritual reality that we need to pay attention to and a spiritual meaning to each of these 10 gates that you see up on your screen. Did you all get a copy of that map when you came in this morning? All right, good. 
Here's, here's what I would encourage you to do. You've got note cards. You've got a copy of the map. Uh, I, I encourage you to fill in the note cards, but you might want to take that map and just write some notes on the map about what the meaning of each gate is and then what you sense that the Lord is speaking to you about when we talk about repairing these gates. Now, gates have an important function. And, and this kind of goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. The function of gates is to let somebody in or to let somebody out. You know that, right? When we were going through those farm gates, the farm gates existed because they wanted to keep the cattle in and the cattle rustlers out, right? And, and so, but there was a way for us to unlock the gates and get in because we, we had access to that. Here's the deal. If you have a wall around your city, Kelly talked about the wall last week. If you've got a wall around your city, but you don't have gates, your city will die, right? Because you're cut off from the supply chain. During these years of COVID, in so many different ways, our supply chain has been cut off. Have you noticed that it's difficult to find new cars around town? There were some, there were some months that the car lots were empty. Why? Because they couldn't get the computer chips that went in the new cars. I, some car dealers told me that there, there, were, there were lots somewhere in America where there were just stacks and stacks of cars that were just waiting for the chip, but the supply chain was cut off because we'd built a bunch of walls around our cities worldwide and we'd cut off the supply chain. If you have a wall around your life, but your gates are sealed, your city will die. And so it's so important it's so important that we know what the gates are, what the functions of the gates are, and that we know whether or not our gates are open or closed. So the invitation that I have for you today, and the invitation that we'll be reiterating over the next several weeks, is this. I want to invite you to repair your gates, repair your gates, and open yourself up to supply. Let's repair our gates and open ourselves up to supply. Because I kind of have a hunch. No, I have more than a hunch. I believe that it's Holy Spirit revelation that a bunch of us have closed some gates that need to be open and we're starving to death because the gates are closed that need to be open. Does that make sense? So today we're gonna to talk about two gates we're going to talk about the sheep gate, we're going to talk about the fish gate, and, uh, and we're going to talk about whether those should be open or closed and what that means to us. So let's start with the sheep gate. If you're taking notes, uh, this is the first part of your note card today, the sheep gate. Now, if you look at your map, you'll see that the sheep gate is right here on the north part of the wall. I, I hope that the fact that we've rotated this 90 degrees won't mess you up, uh, but it fits on the screen better this way. So this is north on your map. And the sheep gate was on the northeast part of the wall of Jerusalem. And this was the gate through which sheep were led when they were bring, being brought to the, sac, to the temple for sacrifice. Um, I'm so excited about this message. I'm stumbling over my words. Okay, I'm just gonna breathe a little. Okay, here we go. 
You understand that the temple existed for people to come and bring their sacrifices to the presence of the Lord to atone for sin, right? This is, this is what the temple existed for. And so people would bring sheep or lambs or goats, depending on what the law stipulated, and they would bring them to the temple. And this sheep gate is where they would bring the sheep through. Actually, there was a whole commercial business raising sheep for the people to purchase for sacrifice. And so right in this northeast corner of the city, there was actually a market where people could come and they could buy a lamb or they could buy a goat. And it was always an animal that was absolutely flawless. It was perfect. There were no spots. There were no deformities. They were only allowed to sacrifice the best of the best, the most perfect sacrifice that was possible. There was also a pool there close by where the sheep would be washed before they were taken into the temple for for sacrifice. And this is what the sheep gate was all about, was this entrance of the animals for the sacrifice of sin. Now here's what you and I need to know. This gate, the sheep gate, is all about Jesus. This was a picture, it was a copy of what actually took place in the heavenly realm when Jesus gave himself as the perfect sacrifice for sin. And and there's a few things that I just think are, it's like a jigsaw puzzle that just snaps into place for me when, when you study the scriptures and see all the pieces come together. For example, did you know this? Did you know that Jesus said that he is our gate? Jesus is our gate. He said it in John chapter 10. He said, yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and find good pastures. Now listen, this verse, these words of Jesus talk about the supply to our city. If Jesus is the gate, he tells us what he's giving us. He, he, he says, if you come in through me, you'll be saved. That's supply. You're going to come and go freely. You're going to get freedom when you come through the gate of Jesus. You're going to find good pasture. You're going to find the stuff you're hungry for. If you're hungry, if you're starving, if you need nourishment, you come in through the gate of Jesus. You come in through the sheep gate. Jesus is the gate. Is that cool? I think it's cool. Here's the next part. Jesus is also our lamb. He's the gate, but he's also the lamb. John the Baptist was the first one to acknowledge that when he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, look, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There again, this speaks to the supply. If you are are heavy laden with the weight of your sin and your rebellion and your mistakes and your failures, The supply of forgiveness comes from Jesus. You come in through the gate, through the sheep gate, which is Jesus, and you find that he relieves that pressure of the sin of your life. That's the supply, that's the nourishment. Freedom, pasture, forgiveness of sin. It's all awesome. Jesus is the gate, Jesus is the lamb, but there's more. Are you ready for this? In Nehemiah chapter three, The very first verse, here's what we read. Again, in Nehemiah chapter three, the people are repairing the wall, repairing the gates. Look at this carefully with me. 
Verse 1 says, Then Eliashib, the high priest, and the other priests started to rebuild the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set up its doors, building the wall as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and the Tower of Hananel, that's all on your map. But what I want you to see from this verse is the person responsible for rebuilding the sheep gate and its section of the wall was who? The high priest himself was responsible for rebuilding the gate, the sheep gate. Now for us as Christ followers, who's the high priest? It's Jesus. Let me take you to Hebrews chapter 4. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weakness, for he faced all of the same testings that we do, and yet he did not sin. There, there's that, that understanding that as the Lamb of God, Jesus was perfect. He never sinned. See how this all just weaves together? Verse 16 says, so let us come boldly through the sheep gate to the throne of our gracious God. And there we will receive his mercy. We will find grace to help us when we need it most. There's more supply. You need mercy in your life. You need grace in your life. You need a do-over. You need a second chance. You need some encouragement. You come to your high priest who has already repaired the gate for you. The high priest repaired the gate. So the invitation, again, that I want to make to you is let's repair our gates and let's open ourselves up to supply. Do you hear what I'm saying? We need to open the doors of a sheep gate and let the supply come in to our city. Now, here's, here's the deal. Jesus did all of the repairs already. That's the truth. Jesus did all the repairs. So you don't have to do anything at all to repair this gate. All we have to do is open the gate to Jesus. But how do I do that? What does it look like? Well, it just means very simply that you and I need to trust Jesus to save us. Trust Jesus to save you. Can I just ask you this morning, is this gate in your wall open or closed? I was thinking this week about COVID and how our culture has shifted um, we have thought about the era of COVID as being about two years, 2020, 2021, but really the, the impacts of COVID went really clear through 2022. We have, we have endured three full years of the impacts of, of COVID, and, and it's, it's been a big deal. Wouldn't you agree with me? And in addition to that, there has been this incredible political unrest in America that has really messed with our with our minds as well. And, and, and so what has happened, in my observation, what has happened is that lots of us have closed the gates of trust in anybody but ourselves to save us from whatever we need saving from. 
We've stopped trusting people. And that, that closure of the gate of trust in our lives has extended for lots of us even to Jesus. And, and, and you know, it, it, it makes sense. Listen, political leaders and other people in power have lied to us. It erodes trust, right? Media outlets have manipulated us, particularly social media. We've been manipulated. Lots of people have questioned the origins of COVID-19. We're not really sure where it came from or why. Lots of people have been questioning the integrity of our elections. And lots of us have become cynical, we've become mistrustful, and we've decided that the only person I can trust is me. We've closed the gate of trust. In fact, I'll be honest with you and tell you, in my lifetime, I don't think I've ever seen so many Christians who are cynical and distrustful of leaders. Any kind of leader. We have become cynical. And my concern, listen, my concern is not only have we decided we're not gonna trust each other, but many of us have said, I'm not even sure I can trust Jesus. And we've closed the sheep gate. I believe that one of the things Jesus is saying to us today is open the sheep gate. Because if you keep this gate closed, what you're doing is you're trying to save yourself. Now, I, I realize that in a group this large, there might be a few people who are not Christians. And what I want to say to you today is, is I believe with everything that is within me, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, the good news is that you can trust Jesus to save you from your sins. That's good news. But for the rest of us who are following Jesus, we consider ourselves to be Christians. If we let this cynicism and this mistrust of, of leaders and authority, if we let that grip our hearts, what can happen is we find ourselves trying to save ourselves from all kinds of situations instead of trusting Jesus to save us in the everyday stuff. So this isn't just a gate that has to do with eternal salvation. This is a gate that says, I need to trust Jesus to save my marriage. I need to trust Jesus to save my financial situation. I need to trust Jesus to save my job situation that looks absolutely dire. And, and, and so... What, what, what we do is if we close the sheep gate, we just try to solve all our problems ourselves. But if we open the sheep gate, we acknowledge that Jesus is a trustworthy Savior. And we can trust him to do what we need him to do. So let's repair our gates and open ourselves up to the supply of mercy and grace and good pasture, all of the things Jesus brings. Let me illustrate this way. Our daughter, Nikki, she shared with you a few weeks ago um, that she was applying to law school. She finished her undergraduate degree at MSU last spring, 
and uh, she began the process of looking for law school. For those of you that don't know Nikki, she spent a lot of years, like Emily did, uh, in, in missions, working with an organization called YWAM, Youth with a Mission. She spent about seven years in Indonesia, and, and she just developed into a remarkable leader on the mission field, but she came to the realization that she needed more than a high school education to really be able to affect the change she wants to see in, in Indonesia specifically. And so she decided to pursue a law degree so that she could fight for justice in Indonesia. And in the name of Jesus, I, I mean, her, her vision and her mission is remarkable. Well, uh, about a year and a half ago, Chris and Nikki and I took a trip to New York City to look for law schools. She wants to be in a position where she can really gain influence, and she feels like that's in, uh, on the East Coast. And so we visited some law schools out there, and when we visited Columbia University, some of you have been there, uh, we all had an experience on the steps of the library that, that we felt like was a spiritual experience. We were standing there just looking over the campus and all of a sudden uh, a, a group of students walked up to us and they were all speaking Indonesian and it just kind of blew us all away. Nikki started con conversing with them and, and we're just all like, whoa. And we interpreted this all to mean that God was directing Nikki to go to Columbia. So we were all excited about Columbia University. And so last fall, Nikki went through all the processes of applying to Columbia University, and they have an early entrance program in which you can apply early and get accepted early, but you have to agree to not apply to any other law schools. And so Nikki went through this whole process, and we waited. What was it, Nick? November that you submitted your application, and they told her she would get her her answer in December. So we're all just waiting on pins and needles, you know, and praying, God, we know this is your will. We're just speaking the will of God in faith. <laughs> the end of December, she gets this email that says, thank you so much for applying. There were 7,000 applicants to this law program, and we only have space for 390 students. And we're sad to tell you, you didn't get accepted. So there's this huge disappointment, right? And Chris and I are watching Nikki and we're praying with Nikki and we're wondering how she's going to navigate this. I have been so impressed as I've watched my daughter trust Jesus. She didn't let discouragement slow her down. She didn't she didn't begin to question, God, are you real? Or none of that stuff. She just said, okay, well, clearly this is a closed door that I can't open myself. Jesus has something different for me. I am going to trust Jesus. So now she's going through the whole process, the whole process of applying to a whole bunch of other law schools. And, and, and I know that she's going to find the right one. I know Jesus is going to lead her. But I'm watching her as she's studying the scriptures and she's praying and she's listening to Jesus speak and she's letting him give her turn-by-turn -turn directions and he is going to save her from the disappointment of being rejected from Columbia University. <coughs> Do you get what I'm saying? Now, I don't care what your situation is. In your life that looks dire, I'm sure most of us in this room have something that looks dire. The question today is, will you open the gate? 
Will you open the sheep gate and trust Jesus to save you from your situation? Or will you take it all into your own hands and do it yourself? Can I just promise you something? You can trust Jesus. So we're going to take just a moment right here. If you have a note card, grab, grab your pen. If you don't have a note card, grab something you can write on. Or may, Oh, Nikki's going to come and correct my story. <laughs> She's going to add to my story. My dad told me this morning that if I feel the Holy Spirit saying something to add to the story to come up. So I did say that, didn't I? You did say but that. I was so afraid I would But you didn't look back at me, so then I had to come up okay, here. here so are. anyways, um, the important part of this story was that how I came to the realization that I was going to trust in Jesus, because it did not come naturally to me. I was super disappointed, but I knew that we were leading a team to Mexico. And so I said, God, you have a mission before me. Like, I'm going to keep doing what you asked me to do to lead this team to Mexico. Mm. And so we were standing at the train station that we shared about last week. Um, and my grandparents, who started this ministry years ago, and I had the honor of sharing the message that morning to um, a bunch of unhoused men who were at this train station. And the Lord spoke on my heart to speak about belonging and about adoption. And so I, I shared this message, and we invited these men to um, accept the seal of adoption over their lives and that they belong to a family, although they are so alone and unhoused. And so these 10 men, there were 10 men who ended up giving their lives to the Lord and accepting Christ. And as I was standing there looking at this train station, looking at these grown men weeping because they had felt the embrace of Jesus. And I'm standing there thinking, this is what it's all about. Like, this is the heart of Jesus to, to watch people come to him and to know him and to embrace his love and his forgiveness and his goodness. And I had been so consumed with where I was going to go to law school. And, and I was so disappointed that I didn't get into Columbia. But God reminded me, Nikki, this is what it's all about. It's about the simple gospel. It's about people coming into relationship with me. And that's what I care about. It doesn't matter where I go to law school. And the Lord told me, Nikki, I, don't I did not call you to be comfortable. I called you to be among my people. And you can do that anywhere. And so it was a process. It, it didn't come naturally to me to just say, okay, Jesus, this is a closed door. I'm ready for what's next. But God showed me what it's all about mm. and that no matter where I go to law school, I can do what I was doing in Mexico because it's about being on mission for Jesus. So, You're so much better than I am. No. <laughs> well, it's your story. It's not my story. Nikki, thank you. Okay, here's what I want you to do. Grab something to write with. Even maybe it's the, note, the notes app in your phone. Don't miss this opportunity, okay? You ready? Get something to write with. We're gonna ask the Lord to speak to us. And I want you to write down what he says. This is something new that I've learned recently and I'm sharing with other people and it works, okay? We're going to ask the Lord to speak to us. I'm going to ask a specific question, and then I want you to write down the first thing that comes into your mind, and you can trust that this is the Lord speaking to you, okay? 
he, 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 won't, he won't mess with you, okay? Here's the question. God, how have I closed the gate? Or alternatively, God, what area of my life am I not trusting you? Okay? Will you ask him that question right now? Ask him that question. God, how have I closed the gate? Or how am I not, what area of my life am I not trusting you? Now write down the first thing that comes into your mind that's probably God speaking to you. It's, it's in, I'm sure he, it's him speaking to you. Write it down, write it down. What have I taken into my own hands? I'm trying, to, I'm trying to save myself. Okay, you got it? You got it? Okay. You, you know, trying to save yourself is about as helpful as taking a lamb in, and killing it to try to pay for your sins. Doesn't work, right? So opening the gate is trusting Jesus. So now I want you to ask him another question. And again, write down the first thing that pops in your mind. Here's a question. Jesus, what does trust look like for me? Jesus, what does trust look like for me? For lots of us, I think it, it means every day saying, Jesus, I trust you to give me wisdom to make the decisions you're, you're telling me to make today. I'm gonna stay the course. I'm not gonna make some stupid decision out of my own wisdom. I'm, I'm gonna stay the course that you have called me to. Okay, what does that look like for you? Okay, now just pray this out loud with me. Will you, will you just say this with your out loud voice? Jesus, I'm going to trust you. Say this to him. Jesus, I do trust you. Jesus, save me. Jesus, save my situation. But you do it. Because I can't anymore. Okay, let's talk about the fish gate. I've used all my time on the sheep gate. I'm going to go quickly to the sheep, the fish gate. The fish gate is on the northwest corner of the wall of Jerusalem. And we read about the fish gate in verse 3 of Nehemiah chapter 3. Here's what it says. It's up on the screen. 
The fish gate was built by the sons of Hasanaah. I want you to say that name, Hasanaah. It's kind of a cool name, right? Hasanaah. One more time, Hasanaah. The fish gate was built by the sons of. They laid the beams, set up its doors, and installed its bolts and bars. Now, this gate, really interesting, this gate leads out north out of Jerusalem to a road, the main road that goes north out of Jerusalem that led all the way to the Sea of Galilee and to other places where fish were prevalent. And this gate was called the fish gate because merchants would bring fish from all over the northern part of the country, specifically from the Sea of Galilee, and they would bring it to the fish market that was inside of Jerusalem. Now, it might tweak your thoughts to say what happened at the Sea of Galilee. There's lots of things in the Gospels that talk about the Sea of Galilee. Jesus spent lots of time at the Sea of Galilee, and there's lots of things Jesus had to say or do with fish. For example, in Matthew chapter 4, we read this. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew. They were throwing a net into the water for they fished for a living. And Jesus called out to them and he said, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. Jesus is changing the direction of their lives. Instead of fishing for fish, you're going to start fishing for people. And, and Matthew tells us they left their, nuts, their, they left their nets at once, and they followed him. We're just going to leave it right there and keep going. They left their nets at once and followed Jesus. Now, for the next three years, Jesus trained his disciples how to fish for people. He had 12 disciples, and he had a group of 70 disciples, and he had a group of 150 people that he was training to fish for people. And those first disciples, those first generation disciples, trained the next generation to fish for people. And they led more people to follow Jesus, and the kingdom of God spread rapidly throughout the known world. And in just a few generations, because these disciples went fishing for people, there were tens of thousands of disciples, tens of thousands of followers of Jesus. Jesus calls his people to be fishers of people. Here's something I want you to think about. There should always be fish in your city. There should always be fish in your city. What would have happened to the inhabitants of Jerusalem if there were no fish gate? What if, that, what if the fish gate were closed? The people in Jerusalem would starve to death, right? And is it possible if you've got a spiritual hunger and you feel like nobody is feeding you, that you're dissatisfied with your life and you're dissatisfied with your spirituality and maybe you're, you're not really enjoying church very much. Is it possible you're starving to death because there's no unbelievers, there's no fish in your city? There should always be fish in your city. Jesus, Jesus intended it to be this way. He called you and me to be people fishers. And so I believe that it's time to open the fish gate and go people fishing. We used to call this evangelism, right? 
Some of you older ones, you remember when we would, we'd have classes on evangelism and how to lead people to Jesus. And, and somewhere along the line, we decided that we were afraid of doing that, right? And so if I asked you the question this morning, is this gate in your city open or closed? I bet a lot of us would say we've closed the fish gate. And we're not people fishing. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Again, the last several years have been tough in our culture. And, 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 and we've closed the gates to people fishing because we've given in to fear. Have you heard about this thing called cancel culture? Christians aren't really the most popular people in the world right now, at least not on social media. We're kind of the enemy, right? And we're afraid of being canceled, so we've stopped talking about Jesus. We're afraid to talk about religion. We're afraid to talk about politics with anyone we think might be offended or might disagree. And yet Jesus has called us to be people fishers. Can I remind you, a closed off city is a dying city. You can't be a thriving, growing Christian if there's no fish in your city. You've got to go people fishing. But instead, we've isolated ourselves in little Christian communities. We close ourselves off at work, and we avoid talking about Jesus, even at family gatherings. And we've closed the gate instead of swinging it open and bringing the fish into our city where they can meet Jesus. And the truth is, we have the only answer there is for this broken and dying world. So we better start fishing for people. Let me tell you a quick story and then we'll, we'll ask Jesus to speak one more time. People are a lot of times surprised to find out that you know every week I speak in front of a couple hundred people and yet I struggle with being shy. And uh, every once in a while, shyness just grips me. Okay, I know that's kind of weird for a public speaker to be shy, but I am. And one of the times when shyness grabs me the most is whenever people ask me what I do for a living and I have to tell them I'm a pastor. Because whenever somebody asks if you're a pastor and you say I'm a pastor, it's like farting really loud and just clearing the room. Okay, I mean, it's the same effect. Just the same effect. So I hate that question. I haven't figured out a way to mitigate it. I just hate the question. But about a year ago, Chris and I took a short vacation and, and we went to a beach community and, uh, and we didn't rent a car. We just stayed in a hotel that was right on the beach. And, and so we got picked up at the airport and they, they picked us up in this large shuttle that they picked up a bunch of people and they just dropped everybody off at their respective hotels along this route. And, uh, and we got on this bus and Chris and I were sitting in our seats and, and everybody was so excited. It's spring break, we're going on vacation, we're on the beach and everybody's just chattering. And there was one guy in particular that just wanted to know everybody's story. So he's like, where are you from? And we said, we're from Montana. Oh, that's cool. We're, you know, and there's all this chatter. And then that dreaded question, and what do you do for a living? And I'm like, I'm a pastor. And, um, and then... That guy that was asking all the questions, it was just like I said. I mean, he just all of a sudden loses interest, okay? Because the last thing anybody wants on spring break is a pastor to be the killjoy of their party, right? <laughs> but there was a guy sitting right across the aisle from Chris and me, 
And he, as soon as he found out I was a pastor, he started engaging me. Just started telling me a little bit of his life story. And then we stopped at a hotel. It was his hotel. And he gathers up his things and he starts to get off the bus. And then he looks at me and he says, Pastor, my name is Lewis. If you think of me, pray for me because my life is real hard right now. I think about him every once in a while and I always pray for him. I, I didn't get his phone number. I think he was from Denver or something like that. I have no way of getting hold of him, but I think of him and I pray for him. And I think, man, if I believe in the power of prayer, then maybe I can make a difference in Lewis's life by just praying for him. Now, what would have happened if I'd have said something other than being a pastor? What, would I have closed off an opportunity to just be a glimmer of hope in this man's life, right? And I didn't lead him in the sinner's prayer, and I didn't go through the plan of salvation with him. It was just, it was just a touch point. But listen, if we close the fish gate to our lives, we may miss opportunities. We may miss opportunities to help people experience Jesus. And it's a gate we've got to swing wide and bring the fish in. Just by loving people, having conversations with people, sharing the reality of your life, and sometimes getting out of your comfort zone. We have one connector who... Uh, who works in a business. I think she's the manager of her business. And um, man, I, I, I swear, it's once a month. She brings one of her employees to church with her. And, and, and she just, I, I'm not sure how the conversations go, but I just know that she's, her fish gate is open and she's bringing the fish in. And, and it might just be as simple as saying, hey, would you like to visit my church? It might be as simple as telling somebody, why you're a little bit different than somebody else. One of the things that came up in our teaching team gathering this week was, did you know you can be, you can, you can go people fishing in church? Did you know there's people right here today that are teetering on the edge of faith and they're struggling and they might need you to just knock them over on the Jesus side? <laughs> Give them a little shove. That, that, brings me, that brings me to this. Remember Hasana'ah? Remember Hasana'ah? I, I, I got to thinking, I wonder what that name means because it's kind of cool, Hasana'ah. I looked it up in my Bible dictionary. You know what that name means? It means prickly or thorny. Maybe Jesus wants us to be kind of prickly people instead of being all nice and mushy all the time. Could Jesus maybe be calling us to push the boundaries a little and ask people to stretch a little because their life is going to be better if they come to Jesus than wallowing in their sin and trying to fix themselves? You go through the fish gate and bring somebody in through the sheep gate, and let me tell you, it's going to be an incredible. Okay, now I'm just babbling. You get the idea. Let's ask Jesus what he's saying to us. Okay, grab your pens, grab your phones, whatever you're, whatever you're taking notes on. Here's the question. Here's the question, ready? 
Jesus, who is in my pond? Jesus, who is in my pond? Jesus, if I could go fishing, if I could go people fishing, Jesus, who would come up in my net? Will you show me? Show me, Jesus. Jesus.